responsibility, what's the Bible have to say? And you know the interesting thing, when you look at Scripture and you, you begin to study and look at when Christ came 2,000 years ago and when he began teaching, that whole mindset, that whole relational mindset of an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, that was actually accepted. That matter of fact, it was being taught, it was even being taught by the religious leaders that if someone is good to you, you're good back to that person. But if someone's bad to you, it's okay to be bad back to that person. Matter of fact, if you were a really good person, you might forgive someone once, twice, maybe even three times, but you would never think about forgiving somebody four, five, or six times. That just wasn't going to happen. So when people were bad to you, it was okay to be bad back to those people. And that was a mindset that was being taught. It was clearly accepted relationally within the world, within the culture, and sometimes today that's even carried into our culture and into our thinking. And when Jesus came along, he changed all of that. And I love this so much about Christ and his teaching. He changed it. One afternoon, he's teaching. And basically, he says something that sort of rocked the world when it comes to how they handled relationships. And it should rock our world on the way that we handle relationships. A lot of people have have used these teachings, different teachers and philosophers. They've used this statement before. They've copied it since, but it all originated with Jesus. Now check this out. If you have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38, one afternoon as Jesus is speaking to the audience, here's what he says. He says, you've heard what was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you. In other words, what Jesus is saying here, he's saying, listen, you you have been taught this, you have heard this, you have accepted this relationally in your life with all the relationships that you have with the people close to you or the people you meet, that an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that's the way you treat people. You treat people well who treat you well. You love the people who love you and you hate the people who consider themselves to be your enemies. And then Jesus says, but I say to you, And it's at that point that we have this this very strong part of this statement in which Jesus is saying, suddenly, I'm going to throw something brand new into the cultural mix. I'm going to throw you a brand new curveball, so to speak. I'm going to to show you a new way when it comes to handling relationships. And the people were probably thinking to themselves as they sat in that audience, an eye for an eye. A tooth for a tooth. I know that. I've lived that. I get that. That's how we've been living our lives. And then Jesus says, but I tell you. And they're probably thinking to themselves, what in the world can he be getting ready to say? What could he be kind of talking about here? And Jesus is going to the heart. He's going to go to the heart of the primary presupposition of the day that ran through all the relationships that people had. And unfortunately, uh, basically runs into some of the relationships that we have even today. It was that presupposition that not only affected these people physically and relationally, but it also affected them emotionally. Because from an emotional perspective, there's something inside of me and there's something inside of you that that wants to do to others what they have done to us. There's something emotionally that allows me to justify withdrawing from people who have withdrawn from me. There's something emotionally in all of our lives that that causes us to want to basically treat people the way that they have treated us, even when it's in a harmful manner. So Jesus says this. He says, you've heard it taught 
Matter of fact, you've operated on this assumption. You know all about this, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I'm basically going to tell you something new, something different. And in these next few statements, Jesus introduces a brand new way of dealing with divots when it comes to relationships. And here's what he says. Check this out. He goes on. He says, but I say to you, do not resist an evil person. And you've all heard this before. Your parents have probably said this to you, right? Or maybe a teacher. He says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And you might have heard a gasp in the audience, right? Because this was so not what they were used to. This was not the type of teaching that they heard. And for all of us sitting here today, we hear that and we think that's great. And you've probably heard it before. So, oh, honey, just turn the other cheek, you know. Be the big boy, be the big person, whatever. Just, just turn the other cheek. And for us, that's just, that's just kind of a saying that we throw out there. But for these people, when Jesus said this, it was literal. Because they were literally being physically abused or tortured because of their faith and their fellowship of Jesus Christ. And so it meant something completely different to them. And here's what he says in verse 43. I'm going to skip ahead. He says, you've heard that it was sad. Love your neighbor and hate your enemy. To which they, they had to be thinking to themselves, love your neighbor. Yeah, we get that. We get that. And hate your enemy. Hate your enemy. That's, that's the way we've been brought up. That's, that's the way the world wants us to treat those people who come against us. And Jesus says, but I tell you. And surely the people had to be wondering, where is he going with this? What gives him the right? What gives him the privilege to say what he's fixing to say about relationships? And look at this. This is so powerful. Here's what Jesus says. He says, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. You see, he, God, causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good. And sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not the pagans even do that? Be perfect, Jesus says. Be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And in doing this, in saying this, Jesus calls them to a brand new, basically, standard of behavior when it comes to relationships. And when you read those words, when you hear me say those words to you, and you see that passage on the screen, you see it on your notes, you see it in your Bible, you might even be like some of the people who were probably sitting there that day, and you may be thinking to yourself, well, that sounds good, and that's easy for Jesus to say, but he's never met my next-door neighbor. He's never met my mother-in-law, right, I went there, didn't I? I just did, right? He never met my boss. It's easy for him to say those things, and that sounds great, that sounds right, but he doesn't know me, he doesn't know my circumstance, and it sounds great for him to say those kind of things. I mean, seriously, it's easy for Jesus to say this. 2,000 years ago to a general audience, and then him and his 12 guys, buddies, they prance off to the next teaching moment that they have with another group of people. But if he knew how I was hurt... If Jesus understood my feelings and how I was hurt, I think I'd get a pass. I think Jesus would say, you're right. Oh, oh, that's right. Love your enemies. Oh, but you get a pass because you've been treated that way. And you get a pass and you get a pass. And that group of people back there, you all get a pass because the way you were treated is differently. I mean, it seems so very insensitive to say to the general public, 
the general audience, without knowing the details and the specifics, to go love your enemies, to go love your neighbors, and to be kind to those who are unkind to you. If someone hits you, turn the other cheek. It sounds so insensitive for him to say that and just to leave. But if he knew my hurt, if he knew my pain, if he knew what had happened to me, I think God would give me a pass. And many of us, if we were honest, we'd want to raise our hand and say, that's me this morning. That's where I'm at. God has no idea. Jesus has no ideas when he said this. Now, why in the world would Jesus boldly proclaim what he said? Why would he raise the bar when it comes to relationships? Why would he give us this mandate, this command to love those who come against us, to love our enemies? And here's why. Here's why Jesus could say what he said. Here's why he taught what he taught 2,000 years ago to this basic group of audience that were sitting there listening. Because... After Jesus said this, just a few months later, he would allow those who hated him, his enemies, to nail his hands and his feet to the cross. And Jesus would die, he would shed his blood on the cross so that the sins of his enemies could be forgiven. So that they could be forgiven. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the sins of the world. He died for his enemies' sins, he died for your sins. He died for the sins you committed before you became a Christian. He died for the sins you committed the week you became a Christian. He he died for the sins you committed since you became a Christian. When he died on the cross, he would die for the habits that you haven't broken. He would die for the words that you wish you would quit saying, but you continue to use them. He would die for the lies that you would tell. He would die for all the times that you were even talking to him in prayer and fall asleep mid-sentence. I mean, has that ever happened to you? You're praying late at night and you're really tired and the next thing you know, you wake up the next morning and you fell asleep mid-sentence. I mean, how does that got to feel like to God? Here you are praying, right? You're pouring your heart. and next, It's like, seriously? Hello? Hello? You fall, you fall asleep? And he died for all those moments, for all of those times. Jesus knew that within a few months of making this statement, of teaching this incredible, powerful, life-changing, relational truth that he was going to demonstrate to all of us what he was calling us to do, that he was going to give up the thing that was most precious to him, his very life. And in doing so, he raised the bar, he raised the standard for every relationship we'd ever have in life. And he says to you, and he says this to me, he says, I don't want you to treat people the way that you've always treated people. I don't want you to treat people the way that the world says to treat people. I want you to treat people the way that I have treated you from this point on. And as I have pursued you in a relationship, and at times you didn't want to have that relationship, and as I have pursued reconciliation, and you have continually turned your back on me, and as I have maintained relationships with you, even when you continue to break your promises, fall asleep mid-sentence, I in turn want you to do for others what I have done for you. And suddenly at the cross, regardless of your story, suddenly at the cross... I lose all excuses, and you lose all excuses because we have been called to be like Christ. A Savior who pursues relationships with those who have heard him, with those who have lied to him, with those who have deceived him, with those who have even turned their back on him, have treated him poorly, and he's extended continually his grace and his mercy to us. You see, that's why Jesus could stand up on a hillside. 
and speak to total strangers and say, here's a new standard for your relationships because I know your story and because I know my story. And one day, your story is going to be directly connected to my story. Now, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to show you another passage where this truth is being taught. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the Apostle Paul. He's going to say the same thing. He's going to say it in a little different way. And he's basically writing this letter to the people in Corinth, to the Christians, the believers there in Corinth. Some of these Christians were, were Jewish believers and some of them were non-Jewish believers. So you have two different types of, of cultures, of beliefisms coming together with the same now religious type of teaching. And here's what Paul says in verse 17. He says, therefore... If anyone is in Christ, he's writing to the believers. If you're in Christ, if you have believed in Christ, you've given your life to him, you're now following him, he says a new creation has come. You are a new creation. The old has gone. The new is here. And in verse 18, he says, all of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. Do you know what reconcile means? That, that word reconcile is so big. It's so important. It basically means to, to take two things and make them compatible. To make two things compatible. He said, what happened to you, what happened to you is that when you became a Christian, you became a new creation. You didn't do anything. God did this when you became a Christian. He did this in your life. He did something inside of you. He basically made you compatible with himself by removing your sin. Before Christ died for your sin, you were incompatible with God. After Christ died for your sin and you believed in him, you are now compatible with God. You are reconciled. That's what it means to be reconciled. It's sort of like if you have a key for your front door. But you want to have another key to give to your wife or your daughter or, or to leave for someone who's going to watch over your house. You go to Home Depot or Lowe's. You take your key that works on that door. And you go into the lock section where they have this little machine. And, and they, they set your key on that machine. And they take a blank key. And they put it on the machine. And it carves the blank key to look just like your key. It reconciles the keys. It makes them compatible with one another so that when you go home, both keys will now unlock the door. That's what it means to be reconciled. And the Bible says that when you become a follower of Christ, you have become reconciled to God. That is, you were made compatible with God. And you say, I don't remember doing that. Exactly. You didn't do it. God did it. The moment that you believed and you accepted Christ as your Savior, God did that within you. And what that means is he reconciled you to himself when he made you compatible with him. He cleared out of the way anything, anything that would be a barrier between you and him having a relationship. It's done. It's cleared out. It's reconciled. And look at this. The Apostle Paul goes on in verse 18. He says, all of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of what? Say it out loud with me. Reconciliation. Say it again. Reconciliation. That God, verse 19, was what? Say it out loud. Reconciling. He's making compatible the world to himself in Christ. Now, how did he do that? Look at this. He says, not by not counting people's sins against themselves. Guys, this is incredible. I mean, don't miss this here this morning. God says, I want to have a relationship with you, but the problem is you've got sin. 
You are a sinful man, you are a sinful woman, and something's got to happen to your sin. And God said, I know, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to do something, because if I wait on you to take care of your sin, if I wait on you to do that, if I wait on you to to take care of all those bad habits, if I wait on you to, to take care of those bad attitudes, if I wait on you to stop telling lies, if I wait on you to make everything right and memorize these 12 things and do these eight steps, if I do that, I'm going to be waiting forever. So what God decided to do, was to not count your sin or my sin against himself anymore once Jesus died and we accepted him as our Lord and Savior. He said, you're reconciled. It's wiped clean. It's a new slate. And for some of you here this morning, you may be at that point in life where you're thinking to yourself, you know what? I've been running from God and I can't come to God because I'm too bad of a person. I've got too many things I've got to fix. I'm just too bad of a mess up. I, I still, I've got all these things in my life and as soon as I get that under control, then I can have a relationship with God and God would say, no, stop where you're at. Because in all of your running and all of your sinning, I know about every single thing. I've seen it. I know it. I was there when it happened. And listen, if you believe, I am willing to let it all go, to forget it, to wipe it clean because I'm willing to reconcile you as a result of what my son Jesus Christ did on the cross. At the cross, you and I are made compatible with God. And this is what God has done for every man and woman who's believed, who's ever been born, and he's paid the price for every single person on this planet for their sin so that when a person comes into a relationship with God, You don't have to do 12 steps. You don't have to memorize all these things. You don't have to do all this stuff to have your sin forgiven. You simply have to believe. And it's at that point, it's at that moment that God reconciles you to himself. He makes you compatible. That's how God operates. That's what the cross is all about. Paul goes on in verse 19. He says that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he was And he has committed to us the message of, say it out loud, reconciliation. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ at the cross. Not counting people's sins against him. He was committed. He he has committed to us, therefore, the message of reconciliation. That's our message. The message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through you and through me. He says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's what he's saying. For those of you who are believers here this morning, for those of you who are Christians, he's saying that now that we have reconciled, we are reconciled to God. We have been given this message. We've been given this ministry of reconciliation. That means that you and I have the privilege to go to anyone in this world, anyone we know or anyone that we meet, and tell them that we have great news. We have incredible news. Your sin can be forgiven. God wants to have a relationship with you. God wants to reconcile you unto himself, and all you have to do is believe, and your sins are gone. They're gone. And you and I have that, have that opportunity. We have that incredible responsibility to go and to tell the world the good news that you can be reconciled to God. But here's the problem. For some of us, there are certain people in our lives, if we were to go to those people, we could say, listen, I've got great news. God wants to reconcile you. God wants to forgive you of your sins. All you have to do is believe. 
And he'll forgive you. But I can't forgive you. Because I've got issues with you. Because you've hurt me. You've created divots in my life. Indentations that I can't let go of. Issues that I can't turn away from. You see, next door neighbor, you see boss, you see coworker, you see family member. I've got a little higher standard than God. That's basically what we're saying, isn't it? I've got a little higher standard with God. Aren't you glad that God didn't put those conditions on your relationship with him that we often put on our relationship with others? The truth is, most of us here this morning, we know how to fix relationships. We know how to repair those kind of divots in our life. We know the the three most powerful words that you can say to someone that you're struggling with or have an issue with. I am sorry. You learned those words early on. You know how to write a, a card or send flowers and try to make amends. And if you're like me growing up as a little boy, my brother was four years older. And when we got into it, my mama would make us hug. I'm so thankful she didn't make us kiss. That would just be really gross. And we know how to fix relationships. We know those steps. We know those things that we need to do. And for 20 years, I played the game of golf one time a year. And I hated it. I was miserable. I I basically never went around fixing any of my divots. And I created a lot of them. I didn't care. I had no respect for the game. I had no respect for the golf course. I had no understanding of golf etiquette. And I just fell into the thinking of the world, the philosophy of the world. If no one else is fixing their divots, why should I? This course is just privileged. I'd even be here playing today. I mean, it's me. I'm here playing, right? I mean, this is a good thing for them. And we fall into that mentality of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. I will love those who love me but I will do harm to those who do harm to me. I will get even with those who hurt me or harm me. I will hate those who hate me or I consider to be my enemies. And the truth is, most of us, we know how to fix those relationships. But the crucial teaching of Jesus that we see here this morning that we've got to begin to understand is until we grasp the full meaning of what took place at the cross, until we understand reconciliation, until we understand all that God has done for you and for me, it's at that point that we understand the importance of this mandate. It's at that point that we understand the importance of this responsibility, of this call to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love your enemies, to turn the other cheek, to be reconciled, To be his ambassador. Maybe that's why Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 34. This is so powerful. When it comes to us dealing with relationships and those who have harmed us, he says this, he says, A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Why do we love others that have harmed us? Why do we love others that have come against us? Because I have loved you. Because I have forgiven you. Because I have reconciled you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone, everyone will know that you are what? My disciples, if you love one another. Guys, you and I, we have been given this ministry of reconciliation. The question is, 
Who do you have to work on loving? Who is it now in your life that you've got some work to do? That you've got to reach down and repair the divot? You've got to take the time to turn the other cheek, to build that bridge, to write that card, to say that apology. Where are those relationships in your life that you would struggle with saying to that person, I've got great news. God can forgive you and live in such a way that you can be an ambassador and impact their life for Christ because he's impacted your life, because he's reconciled you. And it may be that some of you are here this morning again, like I said, And you've been waiting to line things up properly in your life. You've been searching and waiting for that moment that you can get rid of that habit before you start that relationship with God. And God would simply say, no, I've been chasing after you. I've been wooing you unto myself. And I'm standing here with open arms ready to accept you. All you have to do is believe. And your sins will be forgiven and you can be reconciled. And maybe that's where you're at this morning. Maybe that's who you are. And maybe it's for you, you've, you've done that. You've been at that point. You've been living your life as a Christian. You've been, you've been living your life, loving the Lord, not realizing that you've been buying into the philosophy of the day to love those who love you, but do harm to those who do harm to you. And you struggle with forgiving others. And until we learn and understand the full impact of what Jesus is teaching here, It's going to be difficult for God to use us as his ambassadors because we're going to be letting other people's hurt come in between us and an opportunity to show them the love of Christ. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you to stand. And as you stand here this morning, I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads. And I'm going to ask you to close your eyes because...